Part One of The Last Lords of Gerdinal by William Gilbert, first published in the Argosy in 1867. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Last Lords of Gerdinal by William Gilbert. Part One. One of the most picturesque objects in the valley of the Engadine is the ruined castle of Gerdinal, near the village of Madeline. In the feudal times it was the seat of a family of barons, who possessed as their patrimony the whole of the valley, which with the castle had descended from father to son for many generations. The last two of the race were brothers, handsome, well-made, fine-looking young men, but in nature they more resembled fiends than human beings. So cruel, rapacious, and tyrannical were they. During the earlier part of his life their father had been careful of his patrimony. He had also been unusually just to the serfs on his estates, and in consequence they had attained to such a condition of comfort and prosperity as was rarely met with among those in the power of the feudal lords of the country most of whom were arbitrary and exacting in the extreme. For several years in the latter part of his life he had been subject to a severe illness which had confined him to the castle, and the management of his possessions and the government of his serfs had thus fallen into the hands of his sons. Although the old baron had placed so much power in their hands, still he was far from resigning his own authority he exacted a strict account from them of the manner in which they performed the different duties he had entrusted to them, and, having a strong suspicion of their character, and the probability of their endeavouring to conceal their misdoings, he caused agents to watch them secretly, and to report to him as to the correctness of the statements they gave. These agents, possibly knowing that the old man had but a short time to live, invariably gave a most favourable description of the conduct of the two young nobles, which, it must be admitted, was not, during their father's lifetime, particularly reprehensible on the whole. Still, they frequently showed as much of the cloven foot as to prove to the tenants what they had to expect at no distant day. At the old baron's death, Conrad, the elder, inherited as his portion the castle of Gerdinal, and the whole valley of Engadine, while to Hermann, the younger, was assigned some immense estates belonging to his father in the Bresciano district, for even in those early days there was considerable intercourse between the inhabitants of that northern portion of Italy and those of the valley of the Engadine. The old baron had also willed that should either of his sons die without children, his estates should go to the survivor. Conrad accordingly now took possession of the castle and its territory, and Hermann of the estates on the southern side of the Alps, which, although much smaller than those left to his elder brother, were still of great value. Notwithstanding the disparity in the worth of the legacies bequeathed to the two brothers, a perfectly good feeling existed between them, which promised to continue, their tastes being the same, while the mountains which divided them tended to the continuance of peace. 
Conrad had hardly been one single week feudal lord of the Engadine before the inhabitants found, to their sorrow, how great was the difference between him and the old baron. Instead of the score of armed retainers his father had kept, Conrad increased the number to three hundred men, none of whom were natives of the valley. They had been chosen with great care from a body of Bohemian, German, and Italian outlaws, who at that time infested the borders of the Grison, or had found refuge in the fastnesses of the mountains. Men capable of any atrocity, and to whom pity was unknown. From these miscreants, the baron especially chose for his bodyguard those who were ignorant of the language spoken by the peasantry of the Engadine, as they would be less likely to be influenced by any supplications or excuses which might be made to them when in the performance of their duty. Although the keeping of so numerous a body of armed retainers might naturally be considered to have entailed great expense, such a conclusion would be most erroneous, at least as far as regarded the present baron, who was as avaricious as he was despotic. He contrived to support his soldiers by imposing a most onerous tax on his tenants, irrespective of his ordinary feudal imposts, and woe to the unfortunate villagers who, from inability, or from a sense of the injustice inflicted on them, did not contribute to the uttermost farthing the amount levied on them. In such a case, a party of soldiers was immediately sent off to the defaulting village to collect the tax, with permission to live at free quarters till the money was paid, and they knew their duty too well to return home till they had succeeded in their errand. In doing this, they were frequently merciless in the extreme, exacting the money by torture or any other means they pleased, and when they had been successful in obtaining the baron's dues, by way of further punishment, they generally robbed the poor peasantry of everything they had which was worth the trouble of carrying away, and not unfrequently, from a spirit of sheer mischief, they spoiled all that remained." Many were the complaints which reached the ears of the baron of the cruel behaviour of his retainers, but in no case did they receive any redress, the baron making it a portion of his policy that no crimes committed by those under his command should be investigated, so long as those crimes took place when employed in collecting taxes which he had imposed and which had remained unpaid." But the depredations and cruelties of the Baron Conrad were not confined solely to the valley of the Engadine. Frequently in the summer time, when the snows had melted on the mountains, so as to make the road practicable for his soldiers and their plunder, he would make a raid on the Italian side of the Alps. There they would rob and commit every sort of atrocity with impunity, and when they had collected sufficient booty, they returned with it to the castle. Loud indeed were the complaints which reached the authorities of Milan. With routine tardiness, the government never took any energetic steps to punish the offenders until the winter had set in, and to cross the mountains in that season would have been almost an impossibility, at all events for an army. When the spring returned, more prudential reasons prevailed, and the matter, gradually diminishing in interest, 
was at last allowed to die out without any active measures being taken again the districts in which these atrocities had been committed were hardly looked upon by the milanese government as being italian the people themselves were beginning to be infected by a heresy which approached closely to the protestantism of the present day nor was their language that of italy but a patois of their own thus the government began to consider it unadvisable to attempt to punish the baron richly as he deserved it on behalf of those who after all were little worthy of the protection they demanded the only real step they took to chastise him was to get him excommunicated by the pope which as the baron and his followers professed no religion at all was treated by them with ridicule it happened that in one of his marauding expeditions in the volklina the baron when near bormio saw a young girl of extraordinary beauty he was only attended at the time by two followers else it is more than probable he would have made her a prisoner and carried her off to Gerdinal. as it was he would probably have made the attempt had she not been surrounded by a number of peasants who were working in some fields belonging to her father the baron was also aware that the militia of the town who had been expecting his visit were under arms and on an alarm being given could be on the spot in a few minutes now as the baron combined his despotism with a considerable amount of cunning he merely attempted to enter into conversation with the girl finding his advances coldly received he contented himself with inquiring of one of the peasants the girl's name and place of abode he received for reply that her name was teresa beefy and that she was the daughter of a substantial farmer who with his wife and four children of whom teresa was the eldest lived in a house at the extremity of the land he occupied as soon as the baron had received this information he left the spot and proceeded to the farmer's house which he inspected externally with great care he found it was of considerable size strongly built of stone with iron bars to the lower windows and a strong well-made oaken door which could be securely fastened from the inside after having made the round of the house which he did alone he returned to his two men whom in order to avoid suspicion he had placed at a short distance from the building in a spot where they could not easily be seen ludovico he said to one of them who was his lieutenant and invariably accompanied him in all his expeditions mark well that house for some day or more probably night you may have to pay it a visit ludovico merely said in reply that he would be always ready and willing to perform any order his master might honour him with and the baron with his men then left the spot the hold the beauty of teresa beefy had taken upon the imagination of the baron actually looked like enchantment his love for her instead of diminishing by time seemed to increase daily at last he resolved on making her his wife and about a month after he had seen her he commissioned his lieutenant ludovico to carry to beefy an offer of marriage with his daughter not dreaming at the moment of the possibility of a refusal 
ludovico immediately started on his mission and in due time arrived at the farmer's house and delivered the baron's message to ludovico's intense surprise however he received from beefy a positive refusal not daring to take back so uncourteous a reply to his master ludovico went on to describe the great advantage which would accrue to the farmer and his family if the baron's proposal were accepted not only he said would teresa be a lady of the highest rank and in possession of enormous wealth both in gold and jewels but that the other members of her family would also be ennobled and each of them as they grew up would receive appointments under the baron besides having large estates allotted to them in the engadine valley the farmer listened with patience to ludovico and when he had concluded he replied tell your master i have received his message and that i am ready to admit that great personal advantages might accrue to me and my family by accepting his offer say that although i am neither noble nor rich that yet at the same time i am not poor but were i as poor as the blind mendicant whom you passed on the road in coming hither i would spurn such an offer from so infamous a wretch as the baron you say truly that he is well known for his power and his wealth but the latter has been obtained by robbing both rich and poor who had not the means to resist him and his power has been greatly strengthened by engaging in his service a numerous band of robbers and cutthroats who are ready and willing to murder any one at his bidding you have my answer and the sooner you quit this neighbourhood the better for i can assure you that any one known to be in the service of the baron conrad is likely to meet with a most unfavourable reception from those who live around us then you positively refuse his offer said ludovico positively and without the slightest reservation was the farmer's reply and you wish me to give him the message in the terms you have made use of without omitting a word was the farmer's reply at the same time you may add to it as many of the same description as you please take care said ludovico there is yet time for you to reconsider your decision if you insist on my taking your message to the baron i must of course do so but in that case make your peace with heaven as soon as you can for the baron is not a man to let such an insult pass follow my advice and accept his offer ere it is too late i have no other answer to give you said beefy i am sorry for it said ludovico heaving a deep sigh i have now no alternative and mounting his horse he rode away now it must not be imagined that the advice ludovico gave the farmer and the urgent requests and arguments he offered were altogether the genuine effusions of his heart on the contrary ludovico had easily perceived on hearing the farmer's first refusal that there was no chance of the proposal being accepted he had therefore occupied his time during the remaining portion of the interview in carefully examining the premises and mentally taking note of the manner in which they could be most easily entered as he judged rightly enough 
that before long he might be sent to the house on a far less peaceable mission nothing could exceed the rage of the baron when he heard the farmer's message you cowardly villain he said to ludovico did you allow the wretch to live who could send such a message to your master so please you said ludovico what could i do you could have struck him to the heart with your dagger could you not said the baron i have known you to do such a thing to an old woman for half the provocation had it been beefy's wife instead you might have shown more courage had i followed my own inclination said ludovico i would have killed the fellow on the spot but then i could not have brought away the young lady with me for there were too many persons about the house and in the fields at the time so i thought before acting further i had better let you hear his answer one favour i hope your excellency will grant me that if the fellow is to be punished you will allow me to inflict it as a reward for the skill i showed in keeping my temper when i heard the message perhaps you have acted wisely ludovico said the baron after a few moments silence at present my mind is too much ruffled by the villain's impertinence to think calmly on the subject tomorrow we will speak of it again next day the baron sent for his lieutenant and said to him ludovico i have now a commission for you to execute which i think will be exactly to your taste take with you six men whom you can trust and start this afternoon for bormio sleep at some village on the road but let not one word escape you as to your errand to-morrow morning leave the village but separately so that you may not be seen together as it is better to avoid suspicion meet again near the farmer's house and arrive there if possible before evening has set in for in all probability you will have to make an attack upon the house and you may thus become well acquainted with the locality before doing so but keep yourselves concealed otherwise you will spoil all after you have done this retire some distance and remain concealed until midnight as then all the family will be in their first sleep and you will experience less difficulty than if you began later i particularly wish you to enter the house without using force but if you cannot do so break into it in any way you consider best bring out the girl and do her no harm if any resistance is made by her father kill him but not unless you are compelled as i do not wish to enrage his daughter against me however let nothing prevent you from securing her burn the house down or anything you please but bring her here if you execute your mission promptly and to my satisfaction i promise you and those with you a most liberal reward now go and get ready to depart as speedily as you can ludovico promised to execute the baron's mission to the letter and shortly afterwards left the castle accompanied by six of the greatest ruffians he could find among the men-at-arms although on the spur of the moment beefy had sent so defiant a message to the baron he afterwards felt considerable uneasiness as to the manner in which it would be received he did not repent having refused the proposal but he knew that the baron was a man of the most cruel and vindictive disposition and would in all probability seek some means to be avenged 
the only defence he could adopt was to make the fastenings of his house as secure as possible and to keep at least one of his labourers about him whom he could send as a messenger to bormio for assistance and to arouse the inhabitants in the immediate vicinity in case of his being attacked without any hesitation all promised to aid beefy in every way in their power for he had acquired great renown among the inhabitants of the place for the courage he had shown in refusing so indignantly the baron's offer of marriage for his daughter about midnight on the day after ludovico's departure from the castle beefy was aroused by someone knocking at the door of his house and demanding admission it was ludovico for after attempting in vain to enter the house secretly he had concealed his men determining to try the effect of treachery before using force on the inquiry being made as to who the stranger was he replied that he was a poor traveller who had lost his way and begged that he might be allowed a night's lodging as he was so weary he could not go a step further i am sorry for you said beefy but i cannot allow you to enter this house before daylight as the night is fine and warm you can easily sleep on the straw under the windows and in the morning i will let you in and give you a good breakfast again and again did ludovico plead to be admitted but in vain beefy would not be moved from his resolution at last however the bravo's patience got exhausted and suddenly changing his manner he roared out in a threatening tone if you don't let me in you villain i will burn your house over your head i have here as you may see plenty of men to help me put my threat into execution he continued pointing to the men who had now come up so you had better let me in at once in a moment beefy comprehended the character of the person he had to deal with so instead of returning any answer he retired from the window and alarmed the inmates of the house he also told the labourer whom he had engaged to sleep there to drop from a window at the back and run as fast as he could to arouse the inhabitants in the vicinity and tell them that his house was attacked by the baron and his men he was to beg them to arm themselves and come to his aid as quickly as possible and having done this he was to go on to bormio on the same errand the poor fellow attempted to carry out his master's orders but in dropping from the window he fell with such force on the ground that he could only move with difficulty and in trying to crawl away he was observed by some of the baron's men who immediately set on him and killed him ludovico finding that he could not enter the house either secretly or by threatenings attempted to force open the door but it was so firmly barricaded from within that he did not succeed while in the meantime beefy and his family employed themselves in placing wooden faggots and heavy articles of furniture against it thus making it stronger than ever ludovico finding he could not gain an entrance by the door told his men to look around in search of a ladder so that they might get to the windows on the first floor as those on the ground floor were all small high up and well barricaded as was common in italian houses of the time 
but in spite of their efforts no ladder could be found he now deliberated what step he should next take as it was getting late he saw that if they did not succeed in effecting an entrance quickly the dawn would break upon them and the labourers going to their work would raise an alarm at last one man suggested that as abundance of fuel could be obtained from the stacks at the back of the house they might place a quantity of it against the door and set fire to it adding that the sight of the flames would soon make the occupants glad to effect their escape by the first-floor windows the suggestion was no sooner made than acted upon a quantity of dry fuel was piled up against the house door to the height of many feet and a light having been procured by striking a flint stone against the hilt of a sword over some dried leaves fire was set to the pile from the dry nature of the fuel the whole mass was in a blaze in a few moments but the scheme did not have the effect ludovico had anticipated true the family rushed towards the windows in the front of the house but when they saw the flames rising so fiercely they retreated in the utmost alarm meanwhile the screams from the women and children who had now lost all self-control mingled with the roar of the blazing element which besides having set fire to the faggots and furniture placed within the door had now reached a quantity of fodder and indian corn stored on the ground floor ludovico soon perceived that the whole house was in flames and that the case was becoming desperate not only was there the danger of the fire alarming the inhabitants in the vicinity by the light it shed around but he also reflected what would be the rage of his master if the girl should perish in the flames and the consequent punishment which would be inflicted on him and those under his command if he returned empty-handed he now called out to beefy and his family to throw themselves out of the window and that he and his men would save them it was some time before he was understood but at last beefy brought the two younger children to the window and lowering them as far as he could he let them fall into the arms of ludovico and his men and they reached the ground in safety beefy now returned for the others and saw teresa standing at a short distance behind him he took her by the hand to bring her forward and they had nearly reached the window when she heard a scream from her mother who being an incurable invalid was confined to her bed without a moment's hesitation the girl turned back to assist her and the men below who thought that the prey they wanted was all but in their hands and cared little about the fate of the rest of the family were thus disappointed ludovico now anxiously awaited the reappearance of teresa but he waited in vain the flames had gained entire mastery and even the roof had taken fire the screams of the inmates were now no longer heard for if not stifled in the smoke they were lost in the roar of the fire whilst the glare which arose from it illumined the landscape far and near it so happened that a peasant who resided about a quarter of a mile from beefy's house had to go a long distance to his work and having risen at an unusually early hour he saw the flames and aroused the inmates of the other cottages in the village 
who immediately armed themselves and started off to the scene of the disaster, imagining, but too certainly, that it was the work of an incendiary. The alarm was also communicated to another village, and from thence to Bormio, and in a short time a strong band of armed men had collected, and proceeded together to assist in extinguishing the flames. On their arrival at the house, they found the place one immense heap of ashes. Not a soul was to be seen, for Ludovico and his men had already decamped. The dawn now broke, and the assembled peasantry made some attempt to account for the fire. At first they were induced to attribute it to accident, but on searching around they found the dead body of the murdered peasant, and afterwards the two children who had escaped, and who in their terror had rushed into a thick copse to conceal themselves. With great difficulty they gathered from them sufficient to show that the fire had been caused by a band of robbers who had come for the purpose of plundering the house, and their suspicion fell immediately on Baron Conrad, without any better proof than his infamous reputation. As soon as Ludovico found that an alarm had been given, he and his men started off to find their horses, which they had hidden among some trees about a mile distant from Beefy's house. The daylight was just breaking, and objects around them began to be visible, but not so clearly as to allow them to see for any distance. Suddenly one of the men pointed to an indistinct figure in white, some little way in advance of them. Ludovico halted for a moment to see what it might be, and, with his men, watched it attentively as it appeared to fly from them. "'It is the young girl herself,' said one of the men. "'She has escaped from the fire, and that was exactly as she appeared in her white dress with her father at the window. I saw her well, and am sure I am not mistaken.' "'It is indeed the girl,' said another. "'I also saw her.' "'I hope you are right,' said Ludovico. "'And if so, it will be fortunate indeed, for should we return without her, we may receive but a rude reception from the baron. They now quickened their pace, but, fast as they walked, the figure in white walked quite as rapidly. Ludovico, who of course began to suspect that it was Teresa attempting to escape from them, commanded his men to run as fast as they could in order to reach her. Although they tried their utmost, the figure, however, still kept the same distance before them. Another singularity about it was, that as daylight advanced, the figure appeared to become less distinct, and, ere they had reached their horses, it seemed to have melted away. End of Part 1